space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I am with my friend Bob and my friend Jim. And we are talking about uh, Star Trek, uh, what's it called? Strange New Worlds, episode number three. Um, this uh, episode uh, was kind of interesting. It, it certainly, uh, some folks online and even Bob, I think, are saying that it might be the best episode of the season to them, which is great. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm really liking about the series and a lot of things to talk about. So we'll, we'll I'll hop in there as we go. But uh, first of all, let's turn it over to, let's go to Bob. Bob, why don't you tell us uh, some of the things, uh, give us like maybe a couple things that you really liked about it and a couple things you had issues with maybe. Go. Uh, so it just had that old Star Trek feel. I think you were calling it a trope off camera. The captain is stuck down there, but, and, and the first officer or not. Well, actually, he's not first officer on this series, but that was, a, I thought that In was- In our minds, a, he is, I guess. <laughs> go back. One line I really liked from him was when the captain asks him, any ideas, Spock? And he's, you don't, you kind of expect him to give that sort of Spock technical stuff. Instead, it's just run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do love the sense of humor on the series. And especially, I love the, I mean, the Spock and Pike interactions are, have, they were good and on Discovery. They're even better on this show. And I just love their interaction. And, and well, essentially Pike's interactions with anybody are always good. Anson Mount is such a good actor and this, and they write him so well. Uh, but certainly if I was to list the interactions I like most with him, it would be the interactions with Spock would be the first one. And then the second one would be his interactions with um, number one, because she, uh, she has such a different, such an intimate conversations with him more than he has with anybody else. And I like that they build that into this. And, and we see a little bit of that towards the end of this episode and we'll get there on. And by the way, of course, spoilers all over the place. Cause we'll talk about whatever we want to talk about with the episode. Um, generally speaking, I think all three of us thought it was one of the better episodes. I had more issues with it to begin with. I, I when I first watched it, I was like, okay, this seems like a step down from the first two to me. And then I watched uh, the ready room, which you should all watch. If you, if you don't watch the ready room, you, you kind of should. It's it's with Will Wheaton interviewing the cast members and things and and hearing him talk to uh, the actress that plays number one, uh, Rebecca Romaine, right? Uh, anyway, she, what was that? <laughs> Rebecca Romjin. Yeah, whatever, however it is. But uh, anyway, she her conversation about it gives it more. I don't know. It, it just gave the episode more depth to me, and I was like, okay, I can live with that. So. So I did like it, and um, Bob, you were you were going to say a couple more things though. Did you have a, a, a something else? You said it reminds you of the old series, and you said you liked the interaction between uh, Pike and and Spock on the planet. Um, we, it was a trope that they get left 
down there so that they, we can see what the rest of the crew is going to deal with this emergency situation that comes up or whatever. Um, Bob, what were some of the things that you didn't think were so hot about this episode? I got one big one, but I'm sure I, it, the, I, I have a feeling well, you're all going to agree with me, but we'll see. Uh, tidying up the virus was a little too clean. Okay. Like most of New Star Trek, they didn't really work for it. It just sort of like popped out. Of, it sort of happened. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's sort of. I'll, get, I'll give you, I'll, I'll throw out the one that I had issues with and see. I bet you're going to jump aboard with this one. Okay. So it had essentially an A and a B storyline. The A storyline is, is the ship and everybody dealing with the, the crisis going on the ship. The B storyline is uh, Pike and, and Spock and what they're dealing with on the planet and the, and the aliens on the planet and everything. Um, the the C or D or E or F or whatever storyline, I think it's almost Z in the storyline, is this little tagged on piece about how the doctor has his daughter in a, in a pat, pattern buffer in the, and it's how apparently the disease got on the ship was through that. Uh, and, and then he reads her a story later on and then puts her back in the pattern buffer and how she's got a, she's terminally ill. And so his way of keeping her alive is to keep her in the pattern buffer kind of like Scotty is in the pattern buffer on next gen and they find him years and years, hundreds of years later or whatever, and bring him back out of the pattern buffer and he's okay and so forth. Um, but it just seemed like, why, why throw that in there to add to that mix? Or if you're going to do that, treat it like a true, like B storyline in a different episode and, and flesh it out a little bit more, but it just seemed like this tacked on thing it's a pretty major thing. I mean, and, and, and the number one, just dealing with it by saying, oh, we'll just provide the power to do this and keep her alive and, and, and not have to worry about this. It's like, I don't know. It seems like something she'd want to talk to the captain about and get his approval and things on it as well. But I don't know, Jim, what, what was your feeling on, on that? Did it feel as tacked on to you as it did to me or I don't know. Um, well, it, it, it did. I mean, they, they had to have some reason as to why it could get through the, you know, get through the, the transporter, transporter you know, so they had to come up with some reason for it. And it, it kind of gives you a little bit of a backstory on the, the doctor at the same time. It gives you some insight into right. the doctor, you know, so. Yeah. Um, they're trying to build his character. Obviously there's, that was. Yeah. And they, you know, they couldn't character. spend the entire episode talking about it you know i don't know that that would be an interesting episode with no you know it's like oh let's spend the whole episode about the doctor and his daughter and the pattern buffer you know so they they were able to get it in there i mean it might even had some kind of i i could see it had been some standalone idea some writers had you know yeah, yeah kind yeah. of thing and and so then they're they're like well now we really can't make a whole you know episode out of that so we'll just kind of tag it into some other episode and use that idea somewhere else and right used here i mean at least it wasn't a complete tag on in that it wasn't just sort of somehow discovered and mentioned it was it tied in in that that's how the it came through uh the filters didn't get it because it couldn't they couldn't upgrade the the transporter without damaging his daughter or whatever so that didn't happen and so then it was out of date or something but But it sounds like they're going to make a change now to be able to do some kind of upgrade on it so that it doesn't happen in the future. But it 
still maintain his daughter in there or something. You know? Yeah, it, it sounded like they were going to give her her own buffer area that's not tied into this transporter anymore. And it would make sense that you would think once she's, if, if you have somehow enough data points to hold her pattern or whatever you want to call it, and it would seem like it wouldn't have to stay at the transporter. You could put that in the ship's memory bank somewhere or something and, and have it in a different spot. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about transporters, it's it's not really physically moving the person. Right. You know, it's, it's essentially a replicator. Yes. You know, so it just has to be such a good replicator that it's making them identical to the way they just left. I mean, that's yeah. So, so you're over here, replication. you know, it, it, it disintegrates you and takes you apart and figures out exactly how you are. And then it replicates one over here that's exactly the same right. with it. So it transfers that information and then replicates one that's exactly the well, same. Well, it seems like we've talked before about Dr. Soong and him maybe trying to clone himself and so forth. It seems like at this at that point, anybody could clone themselves at one and two, just uh, materialize oh, themselves more. essentially twice from the, from the buffer or whatever, from the pattern buffer. And... And you let the other one go about their way and you've essentially doubled, you created two of yourselves to go live your life. I don't know. If, how, it well, must have fail safes to not make you do that because I'm sure. Well, it's happened, on some what was it's that? happened on some episodes though. Correct. As, as an accident <laughs> or whatever, but you would think somebody like a, a con type or something would go, well, shoot, I don't like having a bunch of henchmen. I'm going to create, 40,000 of me and just have have me be my army and then everybody will all be really good thinkers and of course that would be a problem in itself it's a, you'd all be fighting each other because everybody wants know, to be number one everyone wants to be a leader right everybody should yeah. be right i have all the capabilities of the leader you don't have any more capabilities than i do so yeah that that could be an interesting and humorous episode if you wanted to do that yeah yeah i mean you just make a copy of the pattern buffer it's like okay, it's like a like a Xerox machine, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's like, want, okay, print, print five thousand copies. Print another one. Print another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could almost. I mean, it could almost make it so that you know, basically, people could be almost you know live forever or, or yeah. Well, you know, let's, take, yeah. let's take an example of the red shirt. Oh, he got killed. You send your red shirt down and you, and you keep the, everybody in the pattern buffer in case anybody dies on the away team yeah. and you could bring them back from the moment before they went on the away team, right? And Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. so then I guess it's saying is your soul, I guess it's, it's if it's, if you have to have it replicate somebody on the planet, right? That when you're beaming them and bring them back, I mean, and have them be perfect, then it's also beaming, their, it's also taking their soul, Right. And so you would think that if that's the case, then, yeah, like we're saying, if they die on the away team and you bring them back, they'll still have their soul. They'll still be the exact person they were. Well, they would be the exact same person that that they would have been had they not died and they beamed them right back up again. Correct. Exactly. You know, the they're going to be the same person that they were. Yeah, Bob. I don't understand it. I'm sure Bob has thoughts on this. So go to Bob. understand the technology. It's, it's more like... Uh, MNRA transcription. The pattern is destroyed. What will you reconstitute the person? Ah, well, I just made that shit up, but <laughs> that's, that's how a, I would write it. That's some te- techno babble there. Yeah, yeah Bob, you're, you're falling to your own techno babble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that sort of would make sense why they couldn't replicate each other and couldn't do what we're talking about. Is this somehow? By doing it, when it re- when they rematerialize, that pattern is now gone from that. But it sure seems like everything we know about computers would say, 
Yeah. It's just, it's, it's similar to, if I think about it, like a, a an MP3 music file, if <laughs> I give you a copy or send you a copy of it, I still have my copy. You have your copy. They're identical to each other. It's, it, it, it seems more logical that it would be in that. They have all this new technology, but have forgotten how to make backups. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. <laughs> So. But that's that that MP3 thing. That's what I really don't understand the the what the, the NFTs or whatever. Yeah, you know, somebody will have a digital picture or something like that, and it's the original one that they made, and then they sell that for a huge amount of money. But it's like everybody that has a copy of that has something that's exactly the same as it. So, what value is there in having the 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 it, original? It's quote unquote verified by the blockchain. Yeah, but who cares? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, well, and that's why their price is dropping by ninety percent or something. It's totally correct. Yeah, I think it was crashed. a fad, and it just completely people are. Like, yeah, wow, really? somebody described it as you might as well take your money and buy Cabbage Patch Kids with. <laughs> no, that's that's what that was my solution: the stream of patch, Cabbage Patch Kids in a <laughs> warp bubble. Yes, yes, of course. So, Bob, uh, well, uh, actually, Jim, let's stick with Jim for a minute. What did you like about the episode? I, I liked that it was, uh, you know, not a, uh, a continuation of a story, you know, where it was just, you know, a standalone story for yes. that. That. And they've, they've been I, living I up to of, that. We have had three standalone stories. Yeah, I, I kind of really missed that with, you know, with the other Star Trek series that yeah. we've seen more recently. Um, so, so that was really good. Um, you know, it, it, at first when they left the, the captain and Spock on the planet and then everybody else went up and then, you know, some people had some kind of problems from the away team. I, I you know, it's like, okay, they're all going to get infected on the planet. And, and then I, I figured that it was going to be Spock and the captain on the plant that was going to save them because right. they were behind so they couldn't be infected. But in the end, really, it was um, Una. It was number one. Not them. They were just completely separate. And it was the crew that actually were able yeah. to escape themselves. And I, I still don't really quite understand exactly what the infection was. So it was carried on light. Mm -hmm. but it was some kind of infection that they got on the planet that makes them want to get attracted to the light. So it's the same thing that the aliens on the planet eventually did. And so they walked out into there. And why didn't it affect Spock and the captain down? It was turning them into moths, I believe, where the moths were attracted to the light. Uh, I can turn the light on at night and and, uh, see how my moths fly towards the light. So it must be a moth-related thing, I think. Um, but so so it must, it's the same thing that, that caused the aliens on the planet to go out into the storm to get closer to the lightning and to the light. Yeah, that's they, right, right. Spock and McCoy and. But why yeah. wasn't the Scott? Yeah, why wasn't Spock and the Captain infected with it? it, it you know, why everybody else is infected on it with less Contact. interaction on the 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 ship? Well, what, what about Spock and the Captain? So. Unless it was, so, all I can, and they didn't tell us this or anything. All I could think of from that is that it was something in the transporter that not only let it through, but also but changed it, it somehow or or made it be. But it impacted the aliens on the planet because they explained that 
you know, they were searching for the light. And so they went out into right. the storm to be right. closer. I, so, so there's no transport there. No, so, you're right. Yeah. So that whole part of it, I was kind of, I wasn't quite sure exactly. It's one of these episodes that felt to me like it was reaching for a creative, like something transmitted apparently by light. And we don't normally have any diseases transmitted that way or anything. And so they were, it was, it was reaching for that and they really didn't have a good explanation for it. And so it's one of these where you can't look into it too deeply. You simply have to say the people on the ship were affected by something. It was about how they dealt with that and, and, and got rid of it. And the people on the planet weren't, but the people on the planet had a whole nother thing of these aliens that they thought were attacking them, but they turned out, Oh, we thought they were evil aliens, but they're really not evil aliens. They're protecting us. And, they were got into this whole thing by trying to so badly wanting to be in Starfleet and which leads us to the number one thing about that. She is one of those people. And what is the name of that? What is the name of the thing? Illyrians. Illyrian. She's an Illyrian. And, and that means that she has enhanced abilities and so forth. We saw that she has essentially super strength or something. So, uh, so basically, you're doing what you do most weeks is you're making excuses for shitty writing. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but, but what is number one's name? Una. Number one's name is Una, U-N-A. And then she has a whole last name of something. I think the end of it's Riley. I think it's Una something Riley. And uh, she's Una, never had a name before. Una Kim Riley. What Una is it? Kim Riley. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that's King Riley. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. There you go. See, you guys learned something. New. I thought her name was uh, Number. Major Barrett. <laughs> yeah. First name was Number. Last name was One. Yeah. I know. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> See, I always thought her name should be Uno. So, uh, yeah. Number one. But anyway. There was something I read about. They thought that was a play on, on that. I think it was. Yeah. Uno, Una. Yeah. And was well. When was she given that name? Is that the same name? Did she have that in the original series? She. Her name was number one in the original series, or her. Yeah. She had no name or whatever, but she was. That's all she was referred to as number one. Okay. So um, in the but, books, and you know, over time, comic books, books, whatever it was pseudo canon stuff. She started to get a name. She definitely got the name Una at some point, and that carried over to multiple books and multiple. Uh, comics and all that sort of thing. I don't know if she ever had a last, a, a middle or last name until this series gave her them. I'm, I'm not sure. But, all right. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, um, let me think about what else was going on. Did we did we like the fact that she's a different race and and there's some prejudice going on apparently with that race and that they shouldn't be in Starfleet and then the whole thing with her resigning her commission because she knows that she's not supposed to be in Starfleet if she's from this race. Uh, did that have any, do you guys care about that any which way? I, I mean, you know, now they've kind of put her in the same boat as Khan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's sort of, we were talking last time about how multiple characters, they're having very similar to each other in some ways. But now she's, like you're saying, she's in kind of the same boat as Khan. She's also in the same boat as as um, 
Khan's descendant, which is La'an, who I assume has oh, some yeah, that's what I mean, La'an. enhanced strength too. Okay. So, yeah, so, so they're, so they're, they're similar then, but they don't, but, but La'an doesn't like her, her, doesn't like that she's, La'an is one of the most prejudiced against the Illyrians. Is that what it is? Which is, yeah, I don't know. I don't think she had a problem with the Illyrians. She just had, um, she was mad that she was just mad because she got, she got lied to because she was augmented okay. or whatever. Okay. Well, that's good then. And then, and then, but, but still, and then of course, two. Spock has always had kind of strength, super strength or whatever. So you essentially, I think are going to have three crew members that all are super strong where usually one suffices. I mean, and, uh. and well, I mean, we had Worf essentially in, well, I guess we had Worf and Data that were both stronger than... I think this is a good lead-in to the section I call Star Trek Beatdown. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and, and, and in this, you know, <clears throat> so now on, on, on for the crew there now, you've got two women that are strong uh, physically. Yeah. Men, well, strong mentally, strong, uh, you know, presence-wise women. Right. Yes. As well as they're both results of genetic engineering. Yes. They both have super strength. Yes. <laughs> you know, so it's it's kind of like it's like okay, they're going to have to do something to differentiate these two characters because they're they're becoming very similar except for Correct. you know, so you Well, know, also can... it becomes a little problematic in that let's say Pike beams down with Spock and Una and of course, you bring your secure, head of security down, and so so you all beam down, and so you're in a fight. You're going to essentially see, theoretically, you should see Pike have the most trouble fighting anybody, and these other and all everybody else has super strength or whatever. So they'll all be really tough, and so it's going to make your captain not look so hot. I mean, just visually, I'm saying that that's what it would come across. Now, in a it's real a, situation, if I'm if I'm Pike, I would like that. It'd be like. Okay, I'll leave from back here. You guys go take on these guys, and you know, we're not going to be. <clears throat> yeah, so they're going to be battling aliens or whatever, and it's going to be the two women that go and save everybody's butt. Correct. Yeah. Or they're going to battle each other. Yeah, or maybe they fight gonna... against each other. It was that was a decent fight scene. It was probably the best fight scene we've seen in the series so far. I mean, I, I did like uh, Laon had some really cool kicks and stuff that she was throwing. They weren't having much impact on. Una, but uh, I thought that was kind of a fun little fight scene that they had. But um, Bob, let's go over to you again. Bob, uh, I don't know. Anything else about the episode or did you like, what did you think of the fight scene? What did you think about anything that we talked about? Fight scene was okay. Like I said, I didn't like the way it was tied up at the end. It was right. too, clean, too clean and too easy. Um. I think I, like I said, I said that last week, this, some of these characters are coming very similar and I don't yeah. know what they're going to I mean, the, the one thing you have on the, the next or the original series is that playoff between Spock and McCoy, especially, and sometimes mm -hmm. Kirk. Somebody described them as the id and the ego. Right. These, these it would be more interesting if they were more opposite and they could have a little bit more of conflict. Or maybe well, they will. Maybe just, from, just from a personality, personality view of this, I mean, you almost do better if they didn't have Mbanga and and Chapel was the head was the head doctor because she's got some of that attitude stuff that that McCoy had, you know, where she's kind of flippant. And so I could see, and she also has this attraction, I mean, historically to Spock. 
uh, and they're play they're playing with that a little bit uh, already in some of the episodes. Uh, I could see it'd be interesting to see interactions between her and Spock and and the captain, but she's just I mean just I mean she she's a nurse, and so she's not I mean you're, you're essentially not going to go to her for that many things it wouldn't seem like it seemed like you go to Mbanga first and and she would be there but you don't normally go in in normal you don't go to a nurse to talk about the deep stuff or whatever i don't know are you saying that this should be on the star trek t- or on the star trek los yeah sure <laughs> los los List Star Trek. of certain list of something. List of something. <laughs> oh, all that. Oh. that. Yes. 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 <laughs> Our list of stuff. It's not yeah. the Star Trek TOS, it's the Star Trek LOS. LOS yeah. <laughs> That's the new no new Star Trek LOS. <laughs> or is it SOL? But anyway. Was, the old the original series was perfect. It can't be improved on. people are loving the series i mean definitely and this episode by a lot of folks that i've seen reviews and things are saying it's it was the best of all the episodes so far um i don't know i don't know i think all three of them have been solid episodes i'm very happy with all three um i you know i'm probably liking this season if it keeps heading this way better than anything since maybe the original series and in that when you look at the first season of Next Generation, it was a hot mess. That was, I mean, the episodes that are closest to this one that everyone's talking about, of course, are Naked Time in the original series. And that's the one where they they get that disease that essentially makes them seem like they're drunk or brings out their personality. And we get Spock crying in the, and, and, uh, and, and we get Chapel saying how much she loves Spock. And we get uh, just so much going on there with, with, the, showing the personal side of people then next gen said hey that episode was a great way to show everybody's personality so they did naked now which was a complete ripoff of that episode and that's the one where data and tasha had sexual relations and so there was a lot going on in that episode but it, it's not remembered as one of being one of the great episodes this one at least though presenting somewhat the same thing and getting a little bit uh, into the personal side of people not to that extent but did a better job of it to feeling like a self-contained episode and less like oh yeah this is just a rehash of naked time you know so i don't know it and it I, I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to the um the hollow deck episode yeah they always seem to have a hollow deck episode so i'm looking forward to when they get on the hollow deck and- yeah yeah it surprised me if they well and that's what my argument was uh, and what they should have done with which which was have uh vena from uh the telosian planet or whatever be beamed into or or the telosians put her into into kirk into a pike's cabin sort of thing where he's always having conversations with her and things and that it becomes where his cabin becomes kind of like a, a holodeck in that whatever's in his mind, they can picture so he can go home and be with his horses and be with Vina and whatever. Um, and slowly have that build into over the course of a season, you know, some kind of issue comes out of that. But I think that goes against the 
concept of the self-contained episodes anyway and there's enough other things that would they well they didn't have holodeck holodeck technology fun and different. what was that they didn't have holodeck technology no no but i'm saying not, it, would, it wouldn't be holodeck it would be it would be the the telosians creating a situation like a holodeck right because essentially that's what they were doing in that first the cage episode is sort of creating situations around him that he could be in and it seemed real to well, him right the question is why why don't they because you know you got the it seems like a, a transporter extension right he right. hasn't met them yet though right no he has no i mean that's all oh, right. let's go let's go backwards let's go let's go to uh, i'll take you bob and i'll go with jim first so so no that that the, f- the first time we ever saw them i know it's in next gen, okay in next, was in next gen. What, what, what? Oh, the Telosians, you're talking about the I'm talking about the Telosians. The first time we ever saw the Telosians was in that episode. It's the it's the oldest I both know, in the, real world and also in the first, canon. The first, the first it was the pilot. first time we saw Pike and the, and the crew, okay? Then when we saw the Pike that, that showed up and took over Discovery, that was three years later in their timeline, okay? Oh, okay. So, so, so uh, um, the... Bef- 13 years before before Pike died was where he was seen in the menagerie, seen in the, in the cage, right? The, the cage episode. Then three years later, right, in, in his timeline, he shows up on Discovery. Then this is a little later than that, so it's probably still nine or ten years before his death is going to happen, so he can have these adventures on Star Trek, I mean, in, in, in Strange New Worlds, but it's three years after his initial meeting of the Telosians. So they could okay. go back and, and he can meet with the Telosians again. That's why he saw the vision of his death was he'd already had that the initial piece with the Telosians. So he knew that that was real and things. So, yeah. Actually, I was referring to the holodeck. I mean, you don't I see know. It. And the holodeck, the first time we saw it was, and uh, that's why I said that next. It, it was it Next like Generation, it. the first episode of Next Generation. That was, was like something that, that Roddenberry had wanted to have in the original Star Trek, but knew that they didn't, it, it just wasn't going to push for that piece of technology. So then he pushed for it in Next Gen to have that. And it became, you know, something that was known for Next Gen. And they had that in most of the series since then it's just they didn't play with it as much as they did i guess it made it actually makes more sense the next gen because now you're starting to see computer games and ai and people are starting to get addicted to video games right. so you can well it opens up the possibilities for the writers and stuff too yes you know yeah. it, it's like it's like okay so we're going around space and we're doing all the space stuff but we can have you know a story about them being back in you know the, the 1940s or something like that and well go to the holodeck and and pre-holodeck, if you were going to do that, you say, well, I want to see what Kirk and Spock would do in the 1940s. You had to find a planet that was essentially, for some reason or another, stuck in the 1940s of Earth, which yeah. they would do sometimes, find something like that. But it's be like, okay, that's pushing it. So at least they don't do that anymore. Maybe the whole second season of Picard was actually just a holodeck simulation. Could have been. Which would probably make more sense because then then all the plot holes make sense. It was just some thought of trying to program something anyway. But we can see right through you, Bob. That's right. Bob <laughs> keeps disappearing and reappearing. But uh okay, uh let me think. Anything see else in me. this episode we wanted to see through me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I 
I, I, I really like Chapel's character still. I mean, it, it's so funny because both Chapel and Ortega are kind of in the same boat. They haven't had an episode about them, but they each have like great little lines throughout the three, these first three episodes that make them come off as strong characters, even though we haven't had an episode centered around them really. Um, and I like both their characters quite a bit, but, but we'll have to see when they have like a whole episode built around them. Does it hold up or are they better just in these short bursts? I don't know. Um, on her character and the actress seem to be really capable when they give her more to do. She does a good job of it. So I would like to see more episodes featuring her. Uh, I loved that this one had more of number one and it was about her story because we didn't get much number one in the first episode at all, a little bit in the second. This one was more her episode, like one based on her, which she was the main character in the whole episode, I would say. Um, don't love the fact that they, the, Powers. They, I mean, if you're going to do what they did, if you would say that even she was a kind of an offshoot of the Telosians or something and had mental powers or something, and that that would make more sense of not wanting to have someone like that in Star Trek, Starfleet, and then it would give her something that was different than the other people with, like we say, super strength or whatever. Seems to be uh, a lot of characters probably have that in this series. Um, and you can still have done the same sort of thing. Um, but anyway, I, I think they just want to, they're really into the whole eugenics sort of stuff and, and enhanced people and talking about that. Um, folks online are saying that probably they're setting it up between this and Picard to have a series. that's all about the eugenics wars or something, a mini series or something, which would be possible. And I'd be, I'd be into it if you had like, soon be one of the main characters adam sung be one of the main characters in this thing and have it be have him get a version of khan that's 30 years old or something and and have have that be a storyline i don't know but i yeah yeah Bob, bob's sold in it you can tell there's one of bob's uh, yeah that's always means yeah i'm totally on board there I'm, I'm on board <laughs> 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 Anybody have any comments about that or about anything else from the episode? What do you got? Nothing? We're good? I don't know what are they gonna because Khan gonna like that's kind of kind of weird because we see Khan in the TOS as this is the first time you see him or hear of him. Right. And they're like looking through the databanks, and now he's like a almost like a household word word, which because everybody seems to know about these wars and and she's like an offshoot. It seems a little odd. Right. Well, and that's and that's kind of what <coughs> fans are saying is one of the major issues with uh continuity and things, is that so Spock is serving with someone who is a descendant of Khan, and yet when he gets on when Kirk takes over the ship and he's ends up being with Kirk, he'll meet Khan and not realize who he is and yeah. not realize what Khan's history was or anything. You have to look it up in the, in the databanks to figure it out. Well, if he served with Laon, he would probably know that the history and so forth. I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise to him. You wouldn't think 
The well, only way you can kind of play with that is is try to never have Laon have any kind of deep conversation with Spock, I suppose, and just have him think she's a crew member and not really know what her history is, because I doubt you know the history of every crew member you serve with, but it's still pushing it. Well, and I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't quite get the whole timeline here. I can't remember exactly how they introduced Khan, but, you know, so you got Khan that is around the same time that Kirk and everybody else is around because he's been he's been in suspended animation since oh, oh that's right. since, yeah, since 1996 that they found him in this ship that was all a, a suspended animation ship or whatever and they brought that's, him back that's right okay that's how it happened so he's theoretically and they had like they showed us like photos of him or whatever t- history tapes or whatever but how could you from, from 1996 so in 1996 he was a grown man that was trying to take over the world. He was essentially like a Hitler or something. He, he started, I guess, in 1994. It started 1996 was the end of it. The The world took power back. And like Hitler went off in his bunker and killed himself, Khan went off on this ship and put himself in a suspended animation, plus some of his best people that were all enhanced, right? And and then that ship floated around until until Star Trek. What I What we're saying is, the storyline and, and it looks like what they did was they moved that they realized okay we're already in 1996 so it doesn't really work that way so they've essentially <laughs> saying that it looks oh, yeah. like they're saying is he was born they're trying to keep the time you know everybody knows 1996 is somehow important in this so i think what they're doing is they're saying khan was born and created in 1996 now in in 2024 right he's going to be a man of say 30 or something. And this is when he's going to start probably seeking power with soon, maybe as part of that, figuring that piece out. So that's, I don't know. That's what it looks like. It's going to be is if they're going to play with it. And my issue was, was that now he's like a household name when in the original series, he's like, we found this ship. We don't know who he is. And Spock right. starts doing research. And now Spock's already like dealing with his ancestor. He's like, he's like everybody it's like he'd be like Genghis Khan. Everybody knows who he is. Yeah, that's my problem with it. But yeah, and that's the problem I guess a lot of people have with the it. The other thing is, is it an accident or was this planned a long time ago that uh, Nuni and Sung and those they seem to have the same last name or similar? Similar. That's I think that I don't think that was planned, but I I wonder if it, I was thinking the same thing. I was going, do they have the same last? But they don't. It one sing, I think, and one sung. Soon. But certainly, you would think that they could play with that and say that. Well, it looks like that's what they are saying is that Adam Sung, one of the first something he did was the con stuff. I don't know. So, who knows? How this I mean, is so like, we'll but, but he couldn't do the con stuff because in 2024, there's no con, right? Well, it's we like, don't know that in 2024, he's got something that says the con, con file or whatever it is, and it says 1996 on it or whatever. So, oh, does that it? mean he created so, like a con thing, an enhanced human in 1996, and we just haven't seen that's another one of his children that that is floating around that we haven't seen also it would make a little bit more sense maybe i'm just kind of stretching here that that the his daughter that he made is like of 
what what do we say like Asian sort of history oh, and Khan seems to be somewhat of Asian sort of history and things so maybe the two somehow tie together as brother and sister I don't know so who knows how that all is going to play out or not I mean maybe they just are leaving it but it sure seems like they they put enough planted enough seeds that um or as 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 uh Will Wheaton says they planted enough space seeds <laughs> that maybe which is of course the title of the episode that introduced Khan but that that there's something going on there that they're planning some ideas that some writer somewhere is going to from I would rather see a series based on that than I'm into one about the Starfleet Academy that supposedly is one of the next series they were thinking about doing or the section 31 I'm not really I mean I'm fine if they want to do those and they do them well that's great but I'm having something with some variation of Khan and Dr. Sung together or is it soon or soon? Is there a G on the end of it or not? Anybody know? Anyway, so uh, let me go back to that. that would be let me go back to that episode from TOS. Find out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I mean, what uh, for you, Jim? Would it be more interesting learning about the eugenics wars, or would it be more interesting learning about Section Thirty-One or the Starfleet Academy? Uh, or none of the above. The Academy and Section 31 really I don't have a whole lot of interest in those. Like you say, I would like to see a one it's, with the, the whole con thing going on, probably. Yeah. So it's, it's his last name is Singh, S-I-N-G-H. Singh. That's yeah. that's cons, but I want to yeah. know what what it's no, his a song, S-O-N-G. S-O-N-G, like a song, like singing a song. Okay. Okay. But don't they pronounce it soon? Song soon? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. The guy that created data and the guy that is Brent Spiner all <laughs> throughout all his creations. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, where else are we going with this? I don't. I guess I will say this: that that what's cool to me about the eugenics concept is you could have it be a series that's only designed to be you know one season or two seasons long or whatever, and have it be. You can. It doesn't have to be all about good guys and things. It could be about the bad guys and how what they did and how that all came about would be interesting, and it would fit in with the other series. And then it would be something completely different. So far, every every series has been almost completely different from every other series, and I like that that that's what they do. Um, and so I, I would like, and it'd be a whole totally different time frame as well, which I would like. So. I'm completely on board with that. And that Soong is S-O-O-N-G. There we oh, go. Two O's, okay. There's two O's, so Soong. So that's what Soong. Okay. And Sing. Soong and Sing. Soong and Sing. Sing, Sing, it's a Sing Soong. It's a Sing Soong sort of thing. Of course, uh, there was a lot of cultural appropriation going on with the whole con thing being Sing, so that means he's trying to be Sikh, Indian Sikh, and you got Ricardo Montalban playing yeah. with his darkened skin to, to play a you know, I think he's, yeah. you know, he's Latin American. He's not, what? He's Latin American, not Indian. Well, he's supposed to be Indian, though, in the show. Seeing in the show itself, he was supposed to be some, some, yeah, but they gave them a name that wasn't Indian. They gave him a name, like you said, that was uh, Sikh or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Singh is, a, is like the most popular Sikh name. 
Well, like, I mean, we're part of my, we're you hear part somebody of with that name, they're Sikh ancestry. Yeah. So, I mean, Makata Madaban is, is Latin American. Correct. Yeah. The actor. Yeah, actor. He's, right. he's brown skinned, so therefore he can, you know, play any other brown skinned person. <laughs> Which is what they did back in the day, yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're trying to get a little, a little better about that, but they, they still do it. It's, that's what's so weird is they still, and they'll even still have, you know, white guys playing people of different ethnic groups and so forth that they probably shouldn't be doing it. I guess their argument is always we can't find a great Sikh actor or we can't find a great actor that but I'm sorry, that's pretty weak. I think I think there's good actors that are of any nationality, any you know, culture and everything. So I, I think you just need to dig a little further and get one that's the right nationality because i think it's pretty offensive to take somebody that's not that nationality and say okay we're going to have them play that nationality well yeah. no, nationalities aren't a problem i mean what you're gonna it's like oh if somebody's a german we've got to have them actually be a german they can't be a brit or a you know i think it's a little better if they're a german ethnic group. I mean, yeah ethnic more than anything else yeah yeah but i think the more authentic you can have the actor be the better off you are now that now I'm sure that actors would dispute that and go, I should be able to play anything. If I can it's pull like it I'm, off and I should be able to do it. It's like, I'm acting. I'm, I'm acting. Not, yeah. I'm not, not really a, a pilot on a, on a spaceship. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm acting to be that I can act to be a person that, you know, appears to be. And resting. I think there's a definite argument that way. I just think they, they were trying to be a little more sensitive as to if someone's playing your culture, that it, hopefully be someone or or will allowing people from your culture to actually get acting credit and so forth i mean you can go back to mickey rooney playing that he's asian yeah and it's pretty <laughs> bad you know over the top portrayal of, of the worst stereotypes of asians and, or know, get rid of bruce lee and put david carradine in kung fu yeah right right so that you know I think we're trying to get better with that kind of thing. Which was a slam, which kind of was a really a slam for Bruce Lee, I think. Oh yeah, because he kind of he kind of came up with the whole concept of the project. It was like, here's the project, and they said, "Oh, we're not interested." But then they created a project that was identical to it, and without him. And it's like, okay, I think yeah. I think now he would have done a lawsuit and, and won serious money for that because obviously it was completely his project that he can show he presented to them and they rejected it and then did the same thing so yeah anyway all right so that's staying right on topic as per usual for us <laughs> what, what about this what about the episode <laughs> yeah. got five minutes it's right. yeah. yeah exactly exactly no uh but uh, overall series is good i like all the actors i mean I really enjoy all the actors they have on the show. I do think, as as we're saying, that they do overlap more than they should. It would be nice if they were more uh, a little more divergent than they are with both their capabilities and their personalities. But it, it we have what we have, and uh, and and they can start writing to delineate those a little bit more. Um, unfortunately, they they seem to be writing in a way that uh, overlaps them even more. I mean, because. Because uh, you, we were already having problems with number one, seeming like she had the same personality as some of the others. Now she even has some of the same abilities as some of the other. It's like okay, well, that, 
I guess, like I said, what are they going to do? Are they going to start pitting them against each other? Yeah. What are they going to do with it? No, I don't think they're going to pit them against each other. I think now they seem to be getting closer because they're sharing that together. Well, and and since number one's an enhanced being or whatever she is, does I, I think that means that she's like Khan in some ways, super strong but super intelligent too, right? So it not only makes her more like um, like Laon, but it also makes her more like Spock, being the person who's yeah. highly intelligent and a logical thinker and all of that. So I think they may need to make them illegal, like they did on the the uh, Credibles. They have to hide their powers. Uh, so, that, so that Captain Pike can look better. Yeah, Pike already knows that. Oh, that's that's the other thing we didn't talk about too much was what do we think about the conversation she had with Pike where she resigns and he refuses her resignation and things. I thought that was, to me, that was the kind of scenes I really enjoy. I mean, uh, it makes me feel like he's exactly what you want from a Starfleet captain. It's like he says, no, I Starfleet's wrong in this and you deserve to be here. And uh, anyway, um, but on the other hand, I'm sure Starfleet would go, what are you talking about? You represent Starfleet. You should immediately report her and, and so forth. But I don't know. Yeah. Thoughts, Bob? I think it's his character. I, I think, I mean, he needs sort of a balance. I mean, even like when you look at Doomsday Machine, that's the whole tension between, part of the tension between Spock, McCoy, and Decker uh, is that Spock's going to follow the rules. Of course, he's involved right. in and. And McCoy's like, no, but that's kind of Pike's character. They they developed. He's he's a little bit of a maverick. Yes. Which is what Kirk was too, right? And so mm-hmm. that overlaps with Kirk, and yet he's not like the hothead maverick that kind of Kirk was. He's he's a he's a thinker and he he trusts his his own thoughts and his own intuitions on things that conflict with what Starfleet's telling him to do. I mean, I guess there's like, you know, everything has rules. Corporations have rules. Yeah. Society has rules. Some of them are just are dumb. Yeah. I mean. Well, it's like your generals out in the field have to make decisions, right? And they know general parameters of what they're supposed to do, but they make decisions. And I think Pike's kind of like that. He's exploring the universe in ways that that the people at Starfleet can't have rules for every eventuality he's going to run into. And so they have to trust that he's going to make some good decisions and some of the decisions are going to agree with and some they're not, but it's, you, you've got to give that person that's that explorer, that power to make some decisions on his own. I mean, our, I mean, like even the week before, right. He just totally blew the prime directive out of the water, which probably would have got him really probably got him court martialed but yeah in reality but you see that that's his trend but they have played up which helps they've played up the fact that he's like the golden child of the star of starfleet he's like their epitome of what they want a captain to be and so if he's makes a mistake or something i think they're a lot more likely to look over and 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 uh, yeah because we all know that then in any given uh company or anything there's certain people that they give more le- leeway to and i think he's one of those people 
So like Jim, they gave him a lot of leeway. They give Jim a lot of leeway. And we know that. <laughs> and he he unfortunately makes a lot of poor decisions, but somehow they keep supporting him. I don't know what the deal is there. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, he keeps showing up every week to, for us, and that's a, the poorest decision you can probably make. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, what, what were your thoughts on Pike and 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 the whole Una thing and him not him not reporting her and just and just letting it go? Yeah, I mean it's it's completely in character for him. Yeah, you know, I mean he's he's from from what we've seen, you know, with him in Discovery and and stuff like that. I mean it's it's in his character. It's like yeah. you know he's loyal to his people and and you know there's he doesn't question her ability to do the job and that she, you know, is a part of his crew and part of Star Trek. So. And, and certainly it helps that, and, and now hopefully that helps you know how long they've been together. Cause obviously she and Spock and Pike have been together for at least three years already. Right. According to the time, their established timeline. So you can see how they would have built a trust of each other and a caring of each other and everything in that much time frame. It's not like they've been together for six months or something. So, so you're saying that there's some kind of something deeper going on between Spock and Pike and number one? Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah, like, well, like in the original, the Talos 4 episode, she has a thing for Pike. Yeah, of course. And and in the, I'm sure in the fan fiction out there, don't go look for it, folks, but uh, there's probably a lot with, with that going on, I think. <laughs> anyway, uh, having said that, let's, let's move on. So... Uh, I'm enjoying the season. Uh, unfortunately, I've, I think we officially found out there's only 10 episodes. So we'll, we're a third of the way through or something. It'd be lovely if they add more episodes in future seasons. But for now, we'll enjoy the 10 that we get. Probably shortened because of COVID, too, I would think. Yeah. For streaming, though, 10 seems to be what a lot of the shows do. Yeah, and maybe they're going to go with that. I mean, it's certainly, I, I was hoping because Discovery has always gone for more than 10. Discovery has gone from anywhere from 15 to 13, I think, is their smallest season. I guess. Uh, yeah. But Picard's been 10 every single season. And I think the Marvel ones, a lot of those are all running 10 or six, even. Yeah, some of them. So those, yeah. uh, the one thing I do really like about it, and I, I wish they would have. When they redid the original series, they the the uh, computer graphics are just really good in this series. In like the shots of the ship in this like series, one in the opening with the the light shining on the lower hull. Yeah, but why didn't they do that when they they redid the next the original series? They didn't go to that level. No, I. I I don't know. I I think they were trying to honor the original series and not change it that much just make everything look sharper and, and be i think essentially what they were probably told it, it, when i get between the lines was we need to make it look like it did maybe slightly better slightly cleaner but make it where it works for uh high definition right and where if we can't they're not in they weren't in high definition to begin with but certainly the shots of the actors were so then they could make the whole thing high definition. And I think that's what they were more shooting for. Now a few times, certainly in a few episodes, they took a little more license, the uh, doomsday machine, some of the switching back and forth between the ships and everything was a little confusing in the original as to which ship we're looking at and things. So they cleaned that up a little bit and did more with the, the, the viewpoints of the ships and so forth. So that episode has a little more to it. Um, most of them they stuck pretty close um yeah and 
but do you think uh, the graphics in this and so forth are better than Discovery? Uh, I'm I'm hearing people saying they're better than Discovery, and to me, when you watch that first episode of Discovery, it looks like they there's so much money at that thing. It looks like a a movie or even better than some of the movies because it's that's just insane. That certainly the first episode, first couple episodes of both seasons of Discovery of of the first two seasons are just amazing, just I, expensive looking episodes. But anyway, go ahead. I don't know if it's really the that it's better. It's just we're seeing a classic ship that we're used to seeing yeah. this model of that's hanging in front of a blue screen back in the 60s, right. now <laughs> rendered in really nice lighting. Mm-hmm. It just makes it look really like spectacular. Right. Well, and I sent you guys an article, both of you, uh, that I just read yesterday or whatever, that was about how the shots from the different telescopes and things that have shown us other, you know, some of the beautiful pictures that have been recently available in the last 15 years or something, uh, is is part of what they were speculating that they looked at to create some of the backgrounds and things for this series and specifically the title sequence that they have where the ship's flying around and a bunch of beautiful shots of it um and and they compare like they'll say okay this is from the uh, star trek this is from the theme for strange new worlds and then here's the shot that's that's the shot that's similar to it that it was shot from the hubble telescope or whatever and it's kind of cool to see those back to back and what they're doing. So if anybody wants to look that up, I don't know what the title of the episode is, but I'm sure if you typed in Star Trek theme, uh, Strange New Worlds and, and Hubble Telescope, you'd find that article. Um, it's kind of fun. Anyway, so uh, we'll leave it at that, I guess, and uh, let people enjoy this and uh, we'll keep going. So fun stuff. I. Uh, definitely a thumbs I think it's got a thumbs up from all of us on this episode with still some caveats of various areas, but yeah. See you folks next time. This week in the Ready Room, Rebecca Romaine, a.k.a. number one, a.k.a. Una Chin Riley, is beaming in along with co-executive producer and writer Akela Cooper. We'll have a refresher on La'an's famous ancestor con, and obviously I wouldn't leave you hanging without a look at next week's episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Turn up the lights and report to the Ready Room. Hey nerds, I'm Will Wheaton, and this is The Ready Room, your official behind-the-scenes hub for all things Star Trek Universe. This week's episode of Strange New Worlds put number one front and center as she held down the Enterprise during a very enlightening epidemic. And if talking about this episode already has you feeling in the dark, red alert! We're jumping headfirst into spoilers around this week's episode, Ghosts of Illyria, and this is not the kind of conversation you want to go into feeling dim. If you don't want to feel lightheaded as we move forward, be sure to watch episode three before joining me here in the ready room. Believe me, you'll see everything in a whole new light. Okay, hilariously delightful light puns aside, what an incredible episode, huh? That touched on some very important topics in that way only Star Trek can, and I am beyond excited to have Rebecca Romaine, my second favorite number one, here in the ready room, along with co-executive producer and writer of this episode, Akela Cooper, to talk all about it. This interview is going to be lit. I'm sorry, I know, I said I wouldn't do it anymore. That really is the last one, I promise. 
Aside from an Illyrian virus, this episode gave us more insight into La'an's feelings about that other Noonien Singh, her distant relative, Khan. Most of us on the other side of the screen know Khan as one of Star Trek's greatest villains, but in case you need or maybe want a refresher of the details of this 20th century eugenicist turned 23rd century tyrant, later on we will have a video that will catch you up on all the Khan canon. But first, Strange New Worlds has blessed us with more than just a few familiar names from Star Trek history. While the return of Captain Pike, Spock, and Number One may have been what inspired Strange New Worlds initially, a lot of us lost our minds to see so many other TOS-era characters pop up in the series. I mean, Sam Kirk and his mustache? When you got that, were you like, yes, because that's what I did. Let's take a look at our Strange New Worlds characters and their original series counterparts. Control room, engage. Energize. Star Trek Strange New Worlds takes us back a decade before the original series, when Captain Christopher Pike helms the USS Enterprise. Cadet Ahura, good to see you. You too. His crew includes quite a few familiar names, giving us a unique look at these young Starfleet officers before they served under Captain Kirk. Here's what we know about these legacy characters and their futures in the original series. Your guess is as good as mine. I suggest we refrain from guessing and find some facts. Spock out. Captain Pike is Star Trek's first Starfleet captain and the lead in Star Trek's original unaired pilot, The Cage. Scenes from The Cage appear in flashback form in the season one episodes, The Menagerie, part one and two. Chris. Was that really you on the screen? Although the original series ultimately focuses on Captain Kirk and his crew, Captain Pike is established as the Enterprise's preceding captain and Mr. Spock's mentor and friend. Known as a diligent and dutiful commander, Pike has already glimpsed the grim future awaiting him in the original series, but his future holds more than he realizes. Half Vulcan, half human, Lieutenant Commander Spock a.k.a. Mr. Spock, is Captain Kirk's right-hand officer in the original series. However, Spock appears alongside Captain Pike in the Menagerie. Spock served with him for several years. Eleven years, four months, five days. Spock even commits mutiny to ensure his old friend and captain is afforded the best possible future in the wake of tragedy. The inquisitive science officer goes on to develop a tight bond with Captain Kirk, all while earning his place among Starfleet's greatest officers. I'm pleased to see you, Captain. Seen only in flashbacks in the Menagerie, Number One, or Lieutenant Commander Una Chin Riley as we now know her, is Captain Pike's first officer aboard the Enterprise. She leads the search for Pike when he goes missing on Talos IV during the events of the cage. Una reunites with Pike in season two of Star Trek Discovery with information about Spock's whereabouts, affirming the trio's strong bond. In the original series, Lieutenant Uhura is the USS Enterprise's communications officer, a role she has only just begun training for as a cadet on Pike's Enterprise. 
Uhura's pride for her African heritage is well documented in the original series. And aside from her keen intellect and command of linguistics, Uhura is also the Enterprise's most talented songstress. <laughs> Dr. Mbenga, like number one, is only briefly featured in the original series and given a greater introduction in Strange New Worlds. In the Star Trek episode, A Private Little War, Dr. Mbenga, who has special experience with Vulcan physiology, treats Spark with the aid of Nurse Chapel after the science officer is injured on an away mission. Resuscitating Spark out of his Vulcan healing state, however, proves a bit unorthodox. Thank you, Doctor. Serving aside Dr. Mbenga in both the original series and Strange New Worlds is Nurse Christine Chapel. Tenacious from the outset, Nurse Chapel also serves under Dr. McCoy on Kirk's Enterprise and has never been afraid to question his methods or jump in to serve. Thank you, Nurse. Aside from the medical adeptness she proves time and again, Nurse Chapel holds a special friendship and often flirtation with Spock. That was not my intention. I've noticed. Science officer Sam Kirk, brother to Captain James Tiberius Kirk, appears only once in the original series. Is this your brother, Jim? Unfortunately, on the day of his death. While Sam faces an unfortunate future, we do know he also goes on to be a great scientist, husband, and father, and that his resemblance to his brother is beyond uncanny. The original series lays the groundwork for some of Star Trek's greatest characters, and now Strange New Worlds provides an exciting glimpse into an early chapter in these characters' stories. I am now joined by our until recently secret Illyrian Rebecca Romaine, who plays Una Chin Riley, better known as number one, and co-executive producer Akela Cooper, who also co-wrote this episode. I'm thrilled that you are both here to be with us today. Thank you. I am like super excited about this. Yeah, me too. Rebecca, it has been so much fun getting to know number one, who was kind of just hinted at in the original series. Now, every Star Trek series is constructed around kind of a big three and that you are one of them this time around alongside Anson uh, and Ethan. What has it been like for you to step up into that type of role? It's been incredible. This is a character that was from the original pilot. So she's a character that was introduced almost 60 years ago, brought to life by Major Barrett Roddenberry. Um, and she was never fleshed out. I don't think she ever got more than 14 minutes of screen time. So we never knew that much about her in terms of character. Um, and she was really just in that pilot dealing with the task at hand. So we never knew her as a fleshed out character. And to have this blank slate and get to flesh her out has just been incredible. It's just, it's like a dream come true. Is Strange New Worlds and Una on Strange New Worlds significantly different from Discovery in, in any ways that you didn't expect? Well, again, um, she was kind of just, you know, coming in certain episodes in Discovery here and there. We still didn't quite know who she was as a character. Of course, now we know much more about her, including her deepest, darkest secret, which just got revealed. Captain, I'm an Illyrian. Not from this colony, from far away. 
Starfleet policy is clear. By not disclosing my genetic augmentation, worse, by enlisting in Starfleet, I've committed a Federation offense. I am resigning my commission and surrendering myself for disciplinary review. We learned today that <laughs> number one is an Alarian. Uh, this is a little bit of an issue with Starfleet on account of the whole eugenics war thing. It makes things a bit awkward in the recruitment process. Um, but I loved, and this is I just this is just a comment mm. to both of you. I I was so moved by how we witnessed yeah. showing without telling the futility and 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 immaturity of prejudice. So Pike clearly has her back, but we know that institutionalized prejudice is a hell of a drug. Yes. How is this going to affect her relationship with the rest of the crew now that she's out? Oh, we're going to, you're going to see a lot more where that came from, but it's just, you know, it's, it was such an interesting layer to add to this character who seems to be the most fastidious, meticulous, perfect, you know, first officer. And I believe that she hides this horrible deep secret by being as perfect as she can possibly be in the workplace because it's this, I just, I couldn't wait. I, the, the layer of, of being an Alarian and having to hide this shameful, shameful secret just felt like, oh, I just couldn't wait. Like I was so excited when they first floated the idea to me. Um, and you're gonna see that play out in a pretty intense way. Akela, we found out this week that number one belongs to a species that is banned from Starfleet. Mm -hmm. But the reason she is banned from Starfleet is the reason she can save the crew. Yeah. You took my blood earlier. Did you find anything that could help synthesize a cure? Just because you have- I'm immune. You don't know that. I've already come down with it. And my immune system did what it was bioengineered to do. I didn't tell you earlier because I'm an Illyrian. Would that even work? No. Why not? My body knew how to fight off the infection. It's not that simple. There are the factors. Neither of us has any experience with your unique metabolism. Mm. Reading between the lines a little bit, I recognized a very classic science fiction story, and I would love for you to talk about that. Well, it's, you know, we all come up with Star Trek was supposed to be a utopia. Yeah. Like, far in the future, everyone has worked out their differences. There's a Russian on the crew, there's a black woman, there's a Japanese man. Everyone gets along. Like, that was the idea. But there were still, even in the original series, like, these instances of prejudice. And the show found, you know, unique and different ways to address what, you know, in the 60s were, like, current issues through a sci-fi lens. And we wanted to keep that tradition, mm -hmm. most definitely. And so this was a way of not only just, like, exploring a great character like Una and building that out for the audience, but also exploring how prejudice you know, hinders Starfleet and can work against it because they don't necessarily, they won't even give them a chance, basically. But it does really go to show how Una, you know, in her struggle is so devoted to Starfleet and dedicated to the ship and the crew that she stays and she saves everyone. And now she has like this albatross kind of like around her neck, this secret that, you know, if it actually did get back to the admirals in Starfleet, like she could be court-martialed, she could be, you know, kicked out. And so she's going to have to carry that, but she still 
you know, loves it so much, she risked that to be a part of it. There is a thing that happens in science fiction where there are characters who have something that makes them special and mm -hmm. important and valuable in the science fiction universe that tends to mirror something that when it expresses itself in our prime universe, it makes them weird. So I always felt like a weird outcast kid because yeah. of the stuff that I liked. And I really identified with characters, especially in Star Trek, where the thing that made them weird made them special and valuable. And mm -hmm. I really was moved by the way you showed us that that is a thing that we need to keep in mind and need to think about, and prejudice short circuits that. Yes. Another big theme of Star Trek, obviously, is, is acceptance and people from all different types of backgrounds learning to work together. So um, prejudice definitely gets in the way of any of that. At the end of this episode, um, there is an extremely beautiful, really touching uh, scene where it is recording her log. And uh, to me, it felt very vulnerable and uncertain in a way that was surprising to me after everything I had seen her go through. I thought it told us a lot about her character and who she is. And then she deletes that log at the end. This is a super fan question. Uh, I try to focus on process and things here, but that was a moment that was really, uh, really stuck with me. Why did she choose to not keep that in her record? Because that is the one thing that could get her kicked out of Starfleet, yeah. and she just loves Starfleet. She's so devoted to Starfleet. And when I say that she carries this deep shame, it's because of the secret and because it's she knows it's against the Starfleet regulation to be for an Alarian to be there. But Una's not ashamed of being an Alarian. I think Una is very proud of being an Alarian. Yeah, so, I get that. Um, so it's, it's, I think it really tears her up, you know? And I think deleting that, making the decision to delete that log was to protect herself. That makes me so sad. <laughs> I get it. But just like as a fan of the show, just like as, I'm just speaking purely as a fan right now. I'm so bummed about that. Uh, I look forward to, uh, to her changing Starfleet. Like the idea is that rules should support us. You know, mm -hmm. rules should support us and protect us. And every now and then we find out that a rule is unfair or unjust or unnecessary. And I see the groundwork being laid for that mm. in a way that is interesting to me. Um, Akila, we got this... Interesting new Star Trek entity this week in the form of the plasma beings on Hematit 9. Yes. Right? The beings were especially interesting to me because they are revealed to be the Illyrian colonists, right? Classic mm -hmm. Trek turnaround. Yeah. The monster turns out to be way more complex and actually on our side. So I saw that as part of this thread mm. you have woven through this episode, and I think expertly woven through this Thank episode, you. about bigotry. You address that specific theme in a, diff a lot of different levels, in a lot of different ways that all create a tapestry in this, in this episode. Um, I would love to hear about breaking this story. So it started from, you know, what character are we going to focus on in this episode? And it was Una. And then that became the discussions like, all right, we'd had the discussions about like, we know she's Illyrian. Is this going to be the episode where we get that out? Yes. And then how? And it's like strange new world. So let's visit a strange new world that also like has to do with her backstory. So that way it's like at the top of the episode, she is tense because she's in an Illyrian colony. She is a secret 
Illyrian. She is like already just on edge about that and hearing, you know, the crew kind of like talk, you know, badly about Illyrians. And it's just like, all right, we need to get here and like get what we need and get out. And then, you know, Pike and Spock get trapped on the planet, unfortunately. And like they, you know, Pike has also his ideas about Illyrians, which are in the challenge. Yeah. And it is, as you said, the classic, oh my God, these things are probably what killed the colonists. They're going to kill us. And it's like prejudice, just automatically assuming that because these things are different and they're scary, they're there to harm you. And then having to overcome that and realize it's like, actually, no, if we pay attention to their actions, we will see that they are trying to help us. And it's having to like take that step back and like look at what the person is doing and not what you think they're trying to do that you can then like the prejudice can then come down it's like oh i was wrong about them i was wrong about this uh and now pike is like yeah no i i need to rethink what i thought about illyrians to begin with because it's the sad realization it's like them wanting to be a part of starfleet and then you know de-engineering themselves is sadly what got them killed and turned yeah. into those things and so it's a it's tragedy that idea on that. of yeah. like trying to change yourself to conform to someone else's unreasonable expectations yeah um i feel like this episode provides incredible conversation inspiration particularly for parents and kids awesome um yeah. and i think i i hope i hope that that happens so yeah no that that was our intention it's like for people to see this and then like keep the conversation going long after the episode's over Rebecca, last question. Um, Anson mentioned to me that he played an inexcusably cruel prank on you after you had gone home at the end of season one. He tells me that he either texted you or called you and said, hey, they've added another episode. You've got to come back. Yes. I've heard it from Anson's <laughs> side. I just wondered if you wanted to share any about, about that from our side. Because you know I'd be I, like, dude, I, I love you, but f*** you. Uh, yeah, that was, it was literally like Anson... You know, you didn't get me. Like, there is no way. <laughs> There's no way. It was like, I hadn't seen my kids in almost four months. It was crazy. There was no way I was going back up. It was so That's funny. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that I can speak for fandom when I just say thank you for what you did through the pandemic to bring season one to life. We're only three episodes in and we're already on our way to seeing what I imagine is going to be a legendary and beloved Star Trek franchise. Uh, it is such a pleasure and a privilege to speak to you both. You. Uh, and I am proud to share a universe with you. Same. Thank you, Will. We're loving every second of it. We hope we continue to deliver and to delight. Thank you. Federation's ban on genetically modified humans came as a result of the eugenics wars on Earth. Which year did this war come to an end? A, 1966, B, 1996, C, 2006, or D, 2026? Don't boldly go anywhere, stay tuned for the answer. The Enterprise's La'an Noonien Singh joins the ranks of stoic, resilient types who make up the very best of Starfleet security officers. She is terrific. But of course, many of us Star Trek fans did a double take when we heard her last name. The most notable Nunian Singh in Star Trek history is known to most of us as Khan, a human augment straight out of the 20th century Earth eugenics wars who fled the planet and woke up in the 23rd century. As he is one of the most legendary of Star Trek foes, now is a great time to go all the way back to the beginning when the first space seed was planted 
as we look back on all we know about La'an's villainous ancestor. Weapon up, people. Star Trek Strange New Worlds introduces security officer La'an Nunyan Singh, a strong and no-nonsense addition to Captain Pike's crew. A longtime friend of Lieutenant Commander Una Chen Riley, the two officers' friendship is tested in Season 1, Episode 3, when Una's secret status as a genetically modified Illyrian is revealed. I'm your friend. You lied to me every day for years. What kind of friend is that? Do you want me to tell you it was just a sickness talking? I don't know. Was it? La'an's anger toward Una and her secret stems from a deeply personal history with augmented humans. I imagine you know all about that period in history, where you don't grow up with a bioengineered mass murderer as your ancestor and not develop a thick skin. Khan Noonien Singh. As one of Star Trek's greatest villains, Khan and his sordid history warrant La'an's wariness for augmentation and fuel her desire to distance herself from his reputation. Augment. That's what the other kids call me when they heard my name. Augment monster. I'm picking up a signal, sir. In the Star Trek The Original Series Season 1 episode, Space Seed, Captain Kirk and the Enterprise crew stumble upon the SS Botany Bay an old Earth ship from the 1990s. A relic from a turbulent time in Earth's history when World War III threatened much of Earth's population. The signs of life present aboard the ancient vessel are a surprise to Kirk and the crew. When resuscitation procedures kick in aboard the Botany Bay, the human's leader is taken to sickbay for recovery and is more than a little aggressive upon waking. Where am I? You're in bed holding a knife at your doctor's throat. The leader, Khan, immediately wants to study the ship's engineering manuals, intrigued by 23rd century technology, but also avoids revealing details of his people's mission. Khan is my name. Khan, nothing else. Khan. Kirk discovers Khan's last name, and they discuss the historical events of the 1990s. Kirk's fears that Khan was indeed among those who fought for eugenics are confirmed. I've never been afraid. But you left at the very time mankind needed courage. We offered the world order. We. Khan and a cadre of other scientists escaped from a penal colony to find a new world where they could enhance humanity. Superior ability breeds superior ambition. After seducing the ship's historian, Dr. MacGyvers, and using his superhuman strength to break free of his quarters, Khan and his recently revived crew attempt to take control of the ship. Ultimately, his efforts prove fruitless when he is bested by Captain Kirk. Kirk banishes Khan and his followers to an uninhabited world, though any Star Trek fan knows they are destined to meet again. In Strange New Worlds, Commander La'an isn't aware that Khan Noonien Singh is very much alive, floating through the galaxy and awaiting the events of Space Seed. Time will tell if La'an and her ancestor Khan will ever cross paths. But in the meantime, his nefarious shadow falls on her from both the past and the future.
The Federation's ban on genetically modified humans came as a result of the eugenics wars on Earth. Which year did this war come to an end? 1966, 1996, 2006, or 2026? And the answer is 1996. These very influential series of conflicts fought on Earth between 1992 and 1996 resulted in millions of casualties and nearly obliterated Earth's societal progress. I love diving into all this early Star Trek canon, and my conversation today has me impatient for next week's episode. If you're feeling similarly, we're both in luck. We've got an exclusive look at next week's episode. Check it out. There are supposed to be hundreds of people here. I'm not getting any human life signs. Rushed evacuation? Rushed under fire. Those are blast marks. Definitely a skirmish here. It's always this incredible mix of excitement and frustration to watch a clip of an episode we won't get to see for a week, right? It's all part of the life of a modern Star Trek fan. Friends, thank you so much for watching this week's episode of The Ready Room. I am continuously humbled to be part of your weekly Trek experience, and I am thrilled that you are part of mine. Next week, Christina Chong must know we've been discussing her character La'an this week because she'll be joining me, along with Strange New Worlds writer Davey Perez, here in The Ready Room. I can't wait to break down episode four called Memento More with the two of them. Until then, I'm Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper. Thank you.